Hey, I'd like to welcome you to another episode of the Mission Matters Entertainment Podcast, your source for all things entertainment. My name is Adam Torres. You can follow me on Instagram at AskAdamTorres to keep up with my book releases, book tour schedule, signings, all that other good stuff. Always love to connect with you there. And as always, if you'd like to apply to become a co-author of one of my upcoming books, just head on over to the website, missionmatters.com, and click on Become an Author to Apply. All right, so today I have Michael Douglas Carlin on the line, and Michael is a documentary filmmaker. Michael, welcome to the show. Hey, it's great to be here. It's going to be a nice day out in Los Angeles. A lot of people are in the heat or in the cold down down south, and we just happen to be in perfect weather. Oh, man. Uh, yes, we are, and I am excited to talk to you today, Michael. I know you uh, you sent me your film um, when it debuted recently, and I just was I was glued to the TV, and we're going to get into that today. So the, the film's name, um, for everybody listening, is The People Have the Power, and I will be including a link to that in, in the show notes, so definitely want you to check this out, and, and we're going to go through this film and what inspired it and, and how Michael shot it, so we're going to go through a bunch of things there. But for those of you that are not familiar uh, with Michael's work, uh, Michael, let's just start off with some of the films that you've made in the past and go into a little bit more into your history in filmmaking. Well, it started, you know, I grew up in the movie business. My father was a what they call a gaffer, and he did King Kong, Who Will Stop the Rain, The Fury, the series uh, Chips. And we had a lighting company, and we supplied equipment on movies, Platoon, The Untouchables, Reservoir Dogs, JFK, hundreds and hundreds of films that we supplied equipment on. And so I grew up around movies. And in the late 80s and early 90s, I made about a dozen low-budget feature films. And so that's really where I learned the craft of filmmaking and learned all about story. And more recently, I've done a series of films, started with a film about the Mexican cartels called American Federale. It's the only American to ever serve as a Mexican Federale. And I interviewed him and spent time in border Mexico at, at a time when it was the worst, when it was extremely dangerous. And then from that, I spent time uh, studying the murders of Tupac and Biggie. And I wrote uh, two books with the late Russell Poole, and Russell was the lead investigator in both cases, so I had access to his case files. And from there, I made a documentary about Suge Knight, uh, then made a documentary called Tupac Assassination Battle for Compton. And uh, this recent um, documentary was really kind of three days in Minnesota when uh, the buildings were still on fire. And... You know, it was kind of the culmination of, uh, you know, what had happened in the aftermath of George Floyd. Yeah, and I, um, I, I saw the, and what, what kind of brought you on the radar is I, is I follow you on Twitter and I saw your tweet of you, um, uh, literally on the freeway. And I'm thinking to myself, wasn't I watching this on TV? <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, and I always think to myself, like, who are these people that are out there with cameras and documenting? I'm like, bless their hearts for like understanding and, and capturing moments. Um, some good, some, you know, important moments in our history in the country. And you were you were right in the middle of all that. Yeah, I was literally between the protesters and the police with cameras, you know, on both of them. 
on the protesters and on the police. And there was a somebody who was exploding fireworks or, you know, the, we, we heard it was little sticks of dynamite, whatever that means. But uh, they were trying to get the police to shoot us. So it was definitely a very tense situation. And we were down on the freeway. We had, and, you know, we kind of got lured there. And I, I don't want to spoil too much of the film, but we kind of got lured there. And we showed up onto the freeway. And we were surrounded on both sides by, you know, thousands of police officers. And it's just crazy how there's this place, this stage that's been set. And we just happen to get lured to where the police are, you know, are on both sides of us. Wow, unbelievable. Yes, we we won't ruin that part of the film. But um, I do want to talk a little bit more about the... uh, about the the plot and and the way that you told the story because I think it's um, it's very interesting. So meaning a, a lot of people that maybe would have been in your situation that don't have your experience as a filmmaker or your eye um, for what you were doing or as a writer may have taken a different approach. So they may have, it may have been about the the the. Um, about the, you know, what's going on, if there was a riot, if there was a fire, all these other things that could have maybe been just, you know, good for the camera, looks good. But you actually took a really, um, in my opinion, different approach and, and really weaved in an important story that's not being told, so a higher purpose within this film. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Well, I can just say this. My my background, because of the Tupac and Biggie murders, there's no way that you can not learn about the Rampart scandal. And and Russell Poole was actually the whistleblower that gave us the Rampart scandal. We would not have known about police corruption had, were it not for Russell Poole. And when you dig into the Rampart scandal, you realize that we have a serious problem with policing. And so coming to this situation... I bring all of that Rampart scandal knowledge into this situation where now we have a man who has been murdered by a police officer. And we then go into the other stories of previous men that have been murdered by police officers. And we start to understand that there really is a big problem with this. And in America, you know, we don't really solve problems until they become big problems. And this is now blown up to be really international in scale. I mean, you think about it, 18, 19 countries had George Floyd protests. I mean, that's pretty amazing in and of itself. And to be down there with the buildings burning at the time the buildings were burning was really kind of, you know, an out-of-body experience almost because it's so unlike everything that we've all experienced in the past. And there were... Fevers were running very high at the time. And so, you know, there were women that were trying to tell their stories. And I wanted to make sure that um, I gave everybody a chance to breathe. I heard those stories together all at one time, twice. And, you know, it was too much. And so this film really needed to break up those stories a little bit and give the audience a chance to breathe from each one of these stories, all of which are horrific. You know, every one of these mothers, sisters, friends, whatever, family members that dealt with the police having murdered one of their loved ones is just a horrific story all on its own. 
But when you see these stories all wrapped together, it really, it really is powerful in showing us that there's a problem. And at the time we got down there and were boots on the ground in Minnesota, the other officers had not been arrested. The original charge was third degree murder. And there were some things that I think all of our efforts, and it wasn't just our group, but our group was definitely a part of it, were able to force the city council and uh, the prosecutors to make changes. And it really did teach me that the people do have the power. Yeah, that, uh, for, and, and I think what you're talking about when listening to these stories, I mean, I, I, I texted you and I let you know, cause I know you, you sent me the video and I, I, I thought I was gonna, I think this was Friday, uh, Friday, and I was thinking, oh, I'm tired. It's, uh, you know, I gotta go to bed. I'm just, it's been a long week of recording. And then I saw this and I'm like, oh, I'll start this for a little while. I thought I was gonna be perusing a documentary. I didn't, th- I didn't know what I was signed up for. It's like 1 a.m. I'm about to go to sleep already. It's, uh, it's, uh, and then I, and then I get to these stories, like you were mentioning of these, um, that these mothers are giving and these women are giving and, uh, quite frankly, I could I don't know how you listen to that two in a row. I had to stop in the middle of it, pause it. I had to go grab it, grab, I grabbed myself a drink. There's a true story. It's 1 a.m. and I finished up the movie, uh, at about 2 a.m. In my mind, I was just sitting there, like eyes were awake and I'm like, oh my gosh, like what, what, what's, what is going on? And it's, it's one of those things that, um, it, it definitely shook me, but it wasn't something that was done, uh, you know, it wasn't, it's definitely not a shock value movie. It tells a real, a real story and it documents an important part of our history, uh, and it's done well, and then it's done with, it, almost within the backdrop of what was going on in Minnesota. It's almost as if it provided the backdrop to, to immortalize the stories of these mothers. Um, because I, 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 you could have done the the exact same film, really. Well, not the same film, but the same types of stories that they've been trying to tell for a long time to get out. Now they have that platform, and now everyone can see it. So I think it's amazing. Well, and when you look at it in context, okay, you take these women's stories, and you look at it in context of the Rampart scandal, they are dealing with the exact same things that happened in the Rampart scandal. It was a cover-up. It was evidence going missing. It was, you know, the, all of the exact same things that happened in Rampart happened to these mothers and these family members that lost a loved one to police violence. The story gets changed. The narrative testimony gets changed. And these things get whitewashed and swept under the carpet. And nobody is ever prosecuted. And one civil rights... In one case, didn't like there was a, a film like I literally edited like just just all of a sudden missing. I was like, what? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> like so, when you say change, yeah. and you don't just mean like the story. This but some at sometimes physical evidence changed. Well, and one of these stories is just so gut wrenching. It's the one that you're referencing here. There is a man who is beaten and murdered by the police and his body is discarded into a trash dumpster, Mm. and nothing ever happens to these police officers. And there is surveillance video of that incident, and 
it is edited so that it doesn't show the actual murder. And, and you know, how, how does this not get prosecuted in 2020 America? I mean, it just, it's beyond me. When I, when I first heard these stories, I mean, these things, these stories are so heartfelt. And there's no way that no that, that any human that's not a sociopath cannot be personally impacted to the core of their soul by listening to these stories and and wondering where is the justice in our world today? No, a- absolutely. Um, so so what's next with uh, with this film? So I know you're you're out promoting it, you're out um, sharing it. I mean, what's what's next with you in um, in really getting this film out to to the people? Well, I really haven't promoted this film at all. I mean, I got the phone call. Hey, do you want to go to Minnesota? I was on the plane, you know, six a.m. the next morning. It was kind of last minute thing. Went there, did this film, came back and edited for about three weeks. And I actually interrupted a film that I was working on down in Compton. And and to make my to just show you how crazy my life has been, I spent two weeks in China in September, two weeks in October, two weeks in November, two weeks in December, working on a documentary about Chinese healthcare. And, you know, obviously January second I got back and I was scheduled to go back there in February to complete this film. And because of the coronavirus, was not able to go back to China to complete this film. So that film got put on hold and decided to switch my efforts down into Compton. And I've been working with the former mayor of Compton, Omar Bradley, on uh, a film about the origins of the Piru, which is basically the precursor to the Bloods. And so it's really kind of that 1971 time frame when everything started between the Bloods and the Crips. And that has that has led to perhaps as many as 100,000 young men losing their lives. And then a, a lot of innocent people also losing their lives in things like drive-by shootings. And so, you know, our, our goal with that film is to figure out how did it all start. Mm. And so we've been down in Compton interviewing all of the original people with that um, situation and the film we're about 60 minutes in now on uh, probably 80 90 minute film and we're you know we just keep carving it together some of those interviews have just been you know very eye-opening about how something so small can turn into something so big Wow. Yeah. Look, looking forward to that one. Definitely. After this last uh, couple that I've seen from you, I'm like, okay, what do you, what do you got for me next, Michael? There's going to be another one, another doozy. Uh, <laughs> love it. Um, and so you got that one going, any other films in the works? I feel like you got something up your sleeve still. I, I know you don't stop. I, I know you got no, more. I never stop. <laughs> I know. Give me some more, Michael. I know you got some more. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of booked until about September the 15th on these these movies down at Compton. And then after that, you know, I've got a lot of other possibilities, people talking to me about making films and, and whatnot. But I, but I will say this, you know, looking at this entire situation, I've had a lot of uh, people that I know, Century City people, quoting statistics at me about how, you know, there really isn't a problem. 
because they can show with statistics how, you know, white people are killed just as often as black people are killed. And, you know, they, they flash these statistics and they talk about how this is a non-problem and what have you, and they all try and smooth things over. But I will tell you this, having spent time down in Compton, having spent time in this Tupac community, I really don't know a single black person who has not multiple times in his life had been face down in the dirt with his hands cuffed, waiting for the police to decide what to do with that person from just a traffic stop. And most of the white people that I know have never one time experienced that. And so we definitely do have a problem here. And the way things work in America is we actually all have to come together and number one, recognize that there is a problem and then work towards the solution. And I think we're at that point, and hopefully this film will, um, at the end of this film, when you finish watching this, hopefully you will know, yes, we really do have a problem. And that's my hope with this film. And, you know, I don't have big plans to promote the film, but I hope it grows organically because, you know, I released it on YouTube. It, it wasn't released as a moneymaker. This isn't to get funding. I will say this, the people that I traveled with in Minnesota, Major Williams, Robert Foster, and especially Joe Collins, are heroes. I mean, the fact that these guys were even willing to march down into the gates of hell to make a point. I mean, and Joe, honestly, Joe uh, tried to stop somebody from assaulting the police. You know, you'll see it in the film. That, um, that, you know, there's helmets and weapons being handed out. There's, you know, people that are agitators. Somebody's throwing sticks of dynamite. They want this protest to go violent. And the people that I was with are stopping it. And Joe yeah. Collins stopped somebody from assaulting a police officer, which would have led to this protest becoming a violent protest instead of a peaceful protest. And because he was left behind trying to deal with this situation, he got swept up by the police and, uh, you know, potential congressman Joe Collins was arrested by the police in that situation. And in some ways, I feel jealous that, you know, he was arrested for standing up and, you know, they let me walk free because I'm a journalist Maybe because I'm white, I don't know, but I was not arrested in that same situation. And so I look at it, and this just shows us that we definitely do have a problem here. And this problem needs to be solved. And it's sad that it has to come to the point where there's, you know, riots and there's buildings burning. But, you know, that's how America works. We don't solve something unless we figure out that there's a problem and then people come together to solve it. And the the title, the people have the power. I mean, believe it or not, when I was, you know, finishing up the film, you know, I was toying with a bunch of other titles and I I just came up with that title and I looked up on GoDaddy, the URL, the people have the power dot com was available. I couldn't even believe it, to be honest with you. Mm. 
and I snatched up that. And so I've got the URL pointing directly at the YouTube film. So if you go to thepeoplehavethepower.com, it's going to pop up the film, which I think, you know, is fitting. And I'm really hoping that this film can be a catalyst that can help lead to change that we need to see happen in the way we police. I'm not a fan of defunding the police. I don't think that's the solution because we need police officers. But we also need them to be more like Russell Poole, to have righteous busts and to be righteous about how they do things as opposed to, you know, uh, planting evidence, falsifying reports, lying under oath. You know, that's the kind of policing we need to remove. And we also need to remove any kind of bias in the police, whether it's towards, you know, somebody with sexual preferences or religions or races or creeds or anything. The same traffic stop that happens for one has to happen for all. Awesome. And I think that's a great way to end it today, Michael. So I just want to thank you again for for coming on the show today to talk about The People Have the Power. And for everybody listening, remember, thepeoplehavethepower.com. That's going to direct you right to the film on YouTube. So go check that out. We'll also have that in the show notes for you. Um, And uh, Michael, wanted to say thanks again for your work and for coming on the show. Thank you, Adam. Take care.